1: Welcome to Murder Mile, a true crime podcast, an audio-guided walk featuring many of London's untold, unsolved and long-forgotten murders, all set within and beyond the West end. Today's episode is about a city in a state of panic, as with a young Muslim man running amok, armed with a knife, who had killed one person and injured five. As the press jumped to lazy conclusions and demonized him as a terrorist, they missed the fact that he was literally fighting demons of his own. Murder Marley's research used in authentic sources. It contains moments of satire, shock, and grisly details, and as a dramatization of the real events, it may also feature loud and realistic sounds, so that, no matter where you listen to this podcast, you'll feel like you're actually there. My name is Michael, I am your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 96, Zachariah Bulhan, the terrorist who never was. Today, I'm standing on Russell Square in Bloomsbury, WC1, three roads east of the Charlotte Street Robbery two roads west of the unusual death of Viva Crawford, two roads northeast of the Demar Place fire, and one road east of the deadly Mayo Brewery explosion, coming soon to Murdemar. On the opposite side of Soho, just over Tottenham Court Road, is Bloomsbury, a pricey residential area full of second homes for politicians, a huge university campus, and very little else, except the British Museum, where overseas visitors all flock to see the treasures that we pinched from them many moons ago. Like the Elgin marbles. Cheers, mate. I love that. The Rosetta stone. Lovely jubbly. Chuck it in the van. Egypt's famous cat mummies. Nah, mate. We're not nicking it. We're liberating it. And the Easter Island statue. Yeah, I'll write you a receipt for it when I get it home. <laughs> suckers! Bloomsbury is a great place for tourists to find a hotel with a truly awful name reflecting very English things. Such as the Windsor, the Churchill, the Dickens, the Battle of Britain, the 1966 World Cup, the Fry Up, the Fit Princess, the Racist Prince, and the Pizza Express Pedo. Tourists also flock here as is local, peaceful and safe, but during the summer of 2016, with the city on high alert and the police presence high, Russell Square was rocked by a murder and five attempted murders, all in the space of a few minutes. The grinning killer was described as a radicalised terrorist hell-bent on death, when in fact He was just a terrified boy who believed he was fighting for his life. As it was here, on the 3rd of August 2016, having armed himself with a large kitchen knife, that 19 year old Zachariah Bulhan came with the intent to kill. But those he attacked were not his targets. At 10.33pm, police responded to reports of a stabbing in Russell Square, just, just yards, the yards from, the from the 7 7, seven point. We can confirm that one woman is dead and several are critically injured. Eyewitnesses said that the killer was grinning. He was grinning. He was skipping. He was, was skip- skipping. He was skipping. In a frenzied knife night attack. attack. Armed police tasered a young, black, a young man. black man, an Asian male, described as either Iraqi, or, either Somali Iraqi or, Somali or Somali descent. Police are investigating links to terrorism and Radical radicalization. radicalization. Once again, we ask the question, how safe are we, the British people, in our own city? In the years after the 9-11 attacks, the tensions of the Western world were set on a knife-edge, as no longer did a terrorist originate as an unscrupulous stranger from a foreign land, as many were now born and raised within the society they sought to destroy. But their targets wouldn't be military or political, as seeking to pummel the people into a state of absolute fear, they opted for soft civilian targets and indiscriminately killed as many bodies as possible, as these innocents went about their everyday lives. On the 7th of July 2005, suicide bombers exploded four devices on London's bus and tube network, killing 56 people, injuring 784, and inspiring a copycat attack just two weeks later. On the 26th, the 27th, and the 28th of November 2008, in Mumbai, India, terrorists shot and killed 174 people, wounding at least 300. 22nd of May 2013, Royal Fusilier Lee Rigby was hacked to death in broad daylight by recent Islamic converts. 7th of January 2015, satirical newspaper Charlie Hebdo is attacked. 12 are shot dead, 11 are injured. 13th of November 2015, in Paris. Bomb attacks and mass shootings kill 130 people. 413 are injured. 14th of July 2015, Bastille Day in Nice. A 19-ton truck is used by its radicalized driver as a weapon. 86 people are dead, 458 are injured. And on the 22nd of March 2016, in Brussels, three suicide bombers kill 35 people and injure at least 300. And that was just a small sample, as by 2016, attacks by homegrown terrorists seemed to be hitting home soil on an almost weekly basis, and the perpetrators were almost entirely identical. Mostly Asian or black youths, with shaved heads, bushy beards, and innocent faces, who came from good families, but being bored, disillusioned and deluded, they were radicalised into committing jihad. By the summer of 2016, the UK threat level had been increased to severe, meaning a terrorist attack was highly likely. Armed officers patrolled the streets, London Mayor Sadiq Khan called for the public to remain calm but vigilant, and ironically, on the 3rd of August 2016, Scotland Yard had announced that an extra 600 officers would be deployed into the city following the recent terror attacks. That night, in Russell Square, a young man of Somali origin went on a bloody killing spree, armed with a large knife, and his victims were white and western. As always happens, we had to blame someone or something whether drugs, music, films, bad parenting, or computer games. But in this case, our gut reaction was to blame it on his possible radicalisation by a terrorist group based on his colour. In truth, it was us who were to blame. We just couldn't see it, or wouldn't see it. Zachariah Bulhan wasn't a crazed terrorist on a mission from God. He was just a frightened young boy who needed our help. Zachariah's parents were born and raised in Somalia, an East African country bordered by Ethiopia, Kenya and the Gulf of Aden. As an unstable region, steeped in poverty, corruption and ethnic tension, as warlords, armed militia, and government forces fiercely ripped the impoverished nation apart. In 1991, when its British rulers unceremoniously dumped yet another dirt-poor country, it had stripped of all its assets. The second we graciously granted Somalia its independence, it descended into a bloody civil war. So violent were the clashes that in December 1992, the United Nations peacekeeping force intervened and the civil war remains in place to this day. Seeking a better life, Zachariah's parents fled war-ravaged Somalia to join their relatives in the calmer, cooler and more peaceful country of Norway. Three years later, with an older sister, Segal, and later followed by a younger brother, Salah, Zachariah was born, and he was healthy, happy, and bright. In 2002, having emigrated to Britain, the five-strong Bullhan family moved into a small council flat on the second floor of Robertson House in Tooting, South London. They worked hard, they lived well, and they raised their children to be good, decent people, with a smile on their faces and love in their hearts. It was an unremarkable upbringing typical of many families. They had their ups and downs, their struggles and successes. And although Zachariah's parents would eventually split, for the sake of their children, his mother remarried, his stepfather moved in and Zachariah remained in contact with his own father. So it's no surprise that the other tenants described them as the best neighbors you could ever hope to have. Zachariah, nicknamed Zaki, was a perfect example of a good upbringing by devoted parents who gave him love and support. Raised by a lady who everyone said was delightful, Zachariah modeled himself on his mother, and although shy and socially awkward, being described as a little gentleman, he was always polite, helpful, and charming. Having been blessed with a baby face, and a big bright smile. Zachariah didn't have a bad bone in his body or an evil thought in his head. But by the end of 2015, six months before the attack, things had started to go wrong. 19-year-old Zachariah had struggled with mental illness for the last four years. What began with anxiety and depression was brushed aside by his GP as a phase that many teenagers experience and grow out of. But as he aged, being cursed by a stigma surrounding mental illness in Somali culture, which makes them less likely to seek treatment, his symptoms only escalated the more he sought to suppress it. Becoming more isolated, Zachariah stopped going out, ceased seeing his friends, and he even quit his college course. Withdrawing within his own mind, his cheeky face became sullen, his beaming smile was erased and replaced by a terrified grin, and his once eager eyes were etched red, as with a boy too frightened to ever fall asleep. Over the next six months, Zachariah would try to kill himself, three times. On the 20th of April 2016, as an outpatient at the National Hospital for Neurology on Queen Square, Zachariah was initially diagnosed with anxiety and a depressive disorder. His symptoms were a perfect fit. Sleeplessness, irritability, isolation, depression, lack of motivation and concentration. And given that he had no history of violence, to anyone but himself. He was deemed a low risk, prescribed antipsychotic medications, and he was monitored by the mental health team. But as a science still in its infancy, it is often said that a person's mental health isn't correctly diagnosed for the first 10 years, as many symptoms can be suppressed, masked and can even incubate until they are triggered and Zechariah's diagnosis was no exception. By May 2016, as he withdrew further from the routine of an ordinary life and hid in his bedroom, his hygiene was poor, his thoughts were muddy, and he struggled to see where reality began and ended. Entirely out of character, an unusually volatile anger rose within him, causing his mother to hide the kitchen knives. As she worried what he may do but it wasn't a hatred that fueled his fury but a fear no longer could zachariah tell the difference between spoken words and imaginary ones as a ceaseless cacophony of voices tortured him day and night convincing the terrified boy that he was possessed by a devil only able to trust his own brain to tell him the difference between right and wrong. Even his senses colluded against him. As in his head, he heard voices. In his eyes, he saw demons. And on his tongue, he tasted sulphur. After his arrest, Zachariah would finally be diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and all the warning signs were there that he was about to enter a full sensory schizophrenic psychosis. But this diagnosis would come too late. Deemed a low risk, prescribed a mild drug and with his psychiatric help on a strictly voluntary basis, by the summer of 2016 he wasn't a powder keg of religious anger and anti West hatred. What was bottled up inside him was absolute terror, as the demons inside his mind conspired against him. And yet, it was all hidden behind the smile of a sweet faced angel who would never harm a fly. Wednesday, the 3rd of August 2016 began as an unremarkable day. There were highs of 25 degrees, blue skies, and a cool breeze. The summer had started, the city was busy, and the public holiday had begun. So Mrs. Bullhan and her youngest son went to visit her family in Holland, as Zachariah stayed with his dad. Three miles from Russell Square, in Whitechapel, Zachariah and his father walked into the East London Mosque for their late afternoon prayer. Being devout Muslims, this was the third of five salats for the day and to aid Zechariah's recovery, they prayed to Allah and were cancelled by the Imam. Stigmatised by a cultural shame of mental health, a distrust of modern medicine and a belief that their faith could conquer all, they did what they thought was right. But paranoid schizophrenia doesn't adhere to the seven pillars of Islam. It barely complies to the laws of medical science, and when psychiatric counselling is left to the patient's discretion, it's as good as useless, especially when the only voices he could trust were the ones inside his head. Somewhere in the mosque, a telephone rang, as it had many times before. But gripped in a paranoia that everyone was conspiring to kill him, Zachariah panicked. He ran. A moment later, he had vanished. That night, fearing for his life, Zachariah couldn't remember where he ran, who he saw, or what he did. Terrified that his mobile phone was bugged, he threw it into a bush. Fearing that the plain white robe he had worn into the mosque was poisoned, he stripped down to a white t-shirt, black tracksuit trousers and a pair of trainers. And as the people were spies, their eyes were cameras, and their spit cast cruel spells upon him, as the devil closed in, to protect himself, he stole an 8-inch kitchen knife. Zachariah was alone and terrified. Security footage briefly captured the boy wandering aimlessly, but his movements were confused and chaotic. Everyone was a threat and a danger. And although he fled, as the demons chased him, he was unaware that they weren't behind him, but inside him. Somehow, maybe as an automatic response to seek a safe place, he ended up at the National Hospital for Neurology on Queen's Square, where his illness was first diagnosed. But as a non-emergency service, it was shut. So unsure what to do, the lost and frightened boy wandered around the dark, foreboding city with a voice in his head, a demon on his back and a knife in his hand. Just one street from Russell Square at 10:27 p.m., as the theatres emptied, the restaurants refilled, and the pubs readied for last orders. Entirely by chance, six strangers converged from Russell Square. They were all of different ages, and they were all from different places. They were just six people chosen at random, who were enjoying life. They had never met before, but across the next six minutes, their lives would be fatally intertwined. They were 67-year-old Bernard Heppelwhite, a conservation volunteer from Kent who had been to the theatre with a friend. 23-year-old Lily Stellenton, an Australian primary school teacher who was just yards from her hotel, 64-year-old Darlene Horton, a special-needs teacher who had enjoyed a final meal with her husband before her flight back to Florida, as well as 59-year-old U.S. national Martin Honish, 40-year-old Australian David Imber, and 18-year-old Israeli Yuval Lukowski. Only Zachariah wouldn't see them as people, as in his eyes, every one of them was a demon. As the baby-faced boy weaved about the busy pavement to his first victim, Bernard, Zachariah didn't look like a threat, as the small cherubic boy skipped along silently, swinging his arms like he was playing in the park. As the boy banged into him, Bernard uttered an ouch. Only then did he realise that he hadn't been punched in the stomach. He had been stabbed. And as Zechariah joyously skipped on, grinning wildly, after years of terror, the petrified boy had finally slain his first beast. Yards behind him, it all happened so fast that before Bernard even knew that he was bleeding. As the emotionless prancing lad approached his next victim, Lily Stellenten felt a sharp pain in the right of her ribs. As with no shouts of triumph and no cries of relief through his gritted teeth, Zachariah skipped on silently as a second beast was slain. From out of nowhere, screams began Someone shouted, He's got a knife! And although two people lay bleeding, as this wasn't a TV fiction, but a reality in life, no one was quite sure what was happening. As Zechariah darted over the road, approaching a couple silently from behind, with a single fast blade, he stabbed Darlene Horton in the back. Unaware of her injuries, her husband gave chase only for the small-framed lady to slump against the garden gates as an odd dark pattern formed down her back. By now, everyone was watching, people were screaming, and as distant sirens grew closer, with a seizure of flashing blue lights illuminating the entire square as patrol cars of armed officers flooded the streets, Zachariah ploughed on as the third beast was down, and dying. In quick succession, as Zachariah ran past the Imperial Hotel and dashed up Russell Square towards Bedford Place, he stabbed three more innocents, Martin Honish in the armpit, David Imber in the chest and Jovel Lukowski in the right arm. But as the screams echoed, the sirens wailed, and the people scattered, suddenly Zachariah realised he was alone, with no more beasts to slay. Within minutes of the attack having begun, armed officers had tasered, subdued, and arrested Zachariah. Six people were injured, too seriously, and having been stabbed in the lung and the heart, Darlene Horton was later pronounced dead. But for once, the demons in Zechariah's head had ceased. As happens during any moments of panic, misinformation had spread in those crucial few minutes. As some eyewitnesses had claimed that he had shouted, Ala, Allah, Allah! whereas others had said that he was silent. And although we may all say that we're not inherently biased, if a white person goes on a killing spree, we usually call it a mass murder. But if the perpetrator is dark-skinned, we often assume it's terrorism. To quash any rumours by the trashy tabloids, the Metropolitan Police Commissioner, Sir Bernard Hogan Howe, said that mental health remains a substantial focus in our investigation, and reiterated that they were keeping an open mind as to the motive. Zachariah Bulhan was arrested, charged, and having been sectioned under the Mental Health Act, he was sent to Broadmoor Psychiatric Prison, where he was finally diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. On the 7th of February, 2017, Zachariah Bullhan was tried at the Old Bailey, and although he had no memory of the attack, he pleaded guilty to one count of manslaughter by diminished responsibility and five counts of wounding with the intent to cause grievous bodily harm. But as it was universally accepted that he had suffered an acute psychotic episode, he was detained at Broadmoor Hospital, where he would remain for the rest of his life. One person was dead, five people were injured and a young boy's life was destroyed forever. Had he got the help he needed, had we seen the warning signs and had not just his culture but ours not been blighted by a stigma surrounding mental illness, then a good boy who was polite, shy and decent would be living a good life today. And although we're all terrified by the spectre of terrorism, Often the biggest demons we need to fight aren't on the outside but are the ones inside our minds. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Murder Mile. After the break, I shall be discreetly slurping a tea, crinkling a cake wrapper but probably not eating it, droning on endlessly about something or other and then i shall press stop thank god before that a big thank you to my new patreon supporters who are bernard Airly and stephen walker i thank you plus a thank you for all the new five-star reviews you've been leaving on your favorite podcast app they're very much appreciated and really do mean a lot to me murder mile is researched written and performed by myself with the main musical themes written and performed by Eric Stein and John Books of Cult With No Name. Thank you for listening, and sleep well.
0: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work.
1: oh dear do that oh, throat is hurting after that whoa lots of voices to do lots of voices lots of and the demon voices. <coughs> oh dear oh although I seem to that started as a really slow record I was really struggling at the start but then I think I got into my flow so hopefully it's, it's it will be a pig to edit because I'm, I'm already picturing all the sounds and the the demon voices and things like that and oh it's gonna be that's gonna be a four dayer i think to edit that one but whew, hopefully it'll be worth it right hello everyone extra mile time we're here we're here uh i was just trying to whiz through that because uh not whiz through it like rushing through it but just over me because some some of the businesses are starting to open up there there seems to be a workshop opposite me and they've got like a bandsaw going just down like four boats down there's a guy with an uh, uh, an angle grinder he's got his angle grinder out and my immediate neighbor to the right nice guy but he's doing a lot of angle grinding and he's going to turn up soon so I'm desperately rushing around trying to get this done and i can hear someone with a strimmer as well because the field in front of me is full the grass is really high you remember last week the tractor was out the tractor didn't do a big job it basically went around and it cut basically uh, a pathway for people to walk through and that was it so right let's get some windows open oh if you're new to extra mile this is the waffly bit uh i talk i give you some more information i have a cup of tea i look at a cake which i don't eat during the show because it can be a bit noisy or all the mouth sounds uh and that's about it and i don't edit any anything out which is nice it's different for the first bit takes like four days to edit three or four days to write sometimes a week two weeks to research It's a real pig that first half an hour Bit. the bit that everyone listens to and goes oh yeah I listened to that blah 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 that's the hard bit this is the easy bit I do nothing with this I just waffle and I don't edit anything out it's a piece of piss it really is right gonna make a cup of tea yes I go on. make a cup of tea uh, just had my coffee it wasn't nice oh Jesus right you can probably hear the workshop now People have to work, I get it. Oh, it's going to fill up my tea. Water in there. There Hang on. There you go, kettle on. Tea bag in. Two sugars as always. Uh, Milk at the ready, powdered. And Belgian buns, yeah kind of running short on new ones I still haven't found those uh, those Bakewell tart McVitties I haven't found them yet and I'm desperate not to try them although I might go back to those those uh, hint of marmalade marmalade on toast McVitties they were really nice I might try and hunt them down again they're great but today it's back on the Tesco's Belgian buns although I have said to myself I may need to go on a diet uh, because the sideways view is not looking good looking very very very, very round very, very round i only have one mirror on the boat and it's in the bathroom i turned sideways the other day and i was like oh no what happened to the nice skinny me christmas time i was nice and skinny and i was like oh i think i'll just have one cake and i think i did well up until february i think yeah these last couple of weeks really packed on the pounds. anyway anyway so um this is my penultimate week before i, I have to move on we'll be given that i've mentioned we have given our marching orders so the boats have to move on very soon uh, i've got i don't think i've got no any tours for a while because i don't think there'll be um kind of public meetings and things like that i, don't, I think will be the last thing that'll be uh allowed even though we're outdoors also i don't want to last thing i want to do is do a tour and then halfway through I've dickheads coming up to me going hey coronavirus you can't be doing tours and coronavirus and yet they're out shopping so um I think so I'm going to hold off to doing the tours until I until I'm 100% certain I I feel that I'm not contributing to do you know I know people are going to start rushing out and shopping now and everyone's like oh do you know the virus doesn't exist anymore do you know because we all believe that the, the lockdown isn't eased it's off uh, but obviously the the virus doesn't get the memo. Uh, I don't want to be a part of that. I would rather, you know, even if I even if we, there's no tours this year, I would rather do it as long as we're all safe. I think that's that's most important to me. Rather than going, oh, I need to make some money, so uh, I'll I will continue being poor for as long as it keeps us all safe, and that's what it, the way it's going to be. So, uh, but as mentioned before, if you've got vouchers, don't worry. I'll keep the I'll keep extending those. And anyone who has booked on the, uh, the tour for uh, any approaching dates, uh, I'll be in touch with you, uh, as I always am, about a week before. And what I've started doing is putting your tickets in a holding pattern. So I can kind of, when they're up and running, I can get in touch and go, right, your tickets are ready for whenever you want them so we can book you back on. So you don't need to worry, that they, they won't be lost at all. Uh, what's going on here? It's bloody hot here. We, we, we're having a week of, I think it's like mid-20s. Which I know is not hot for everyone else, but for me it's too bloody hot. I like the cold. I like cold, I like wind, I like rain. I don't like heat. Not a big fan of heat, because there's nothing you can do about it. So, And especially when you're sitting inside a, a metal box, it gets hotter and hotter and hotter. So, oh dear. Um, tea's about to go. Look at that, it's ready to go. Yes, tea o'clock. There we go. Pop that in there, let it stew. Milk ready, well, powdered milk ready. Uh, so, yeah, no, st- uh, staying here, obeying the rules. Uh, I'm going to bugger off on the boat somewhere else, as mentioned, somewhere secret, so that'll be good. uh Still adhering to the rules of the lockdown, still doing online kind of e quizzes and e beers with friends, but I'm getting really bored of e beers and e quizzes. Uh, luckily, the rules do stay, say that uh, you can meet someone from another household uh and as long as you're two meters apart and you know as in you're outside and da, 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 things like that so uh i oh, will be meeting up again with a friend tonight which is all good uh gonna go over to his, have a couple of beers which is quite nice it's nice to have beers and talk face to face with someone but because he's a carer uh, uh for the nhs obviously we keep our distance we've got our gloves on and it you know it's it's funny but it's nice just to talk to so- someone directly to their face so uh yeah uh we'll be doing that right uh have a couple of cheeky beers looking forward to that no it, 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 having beers via skype it's just I, i'm not enjoying it not enjoying it at all it just feels like a waste of an evening i i like sitting in front of someone and just talking to their face you know you're missing a lot when you're not seeing someone right anyway let's uh, let's do the questions then i'll go and put my milk in the tea but powdered milk obviously uh right questions number one get yourselves ready question one start with a really easy one what country did zachariah's parents originate from nice and easy right at the top of the show uh question two which mosque did zachariah go to with his father nice easy one as well i think i think uh question three which prison was zachariah admitted to at the end this is uh is a hospital slash maximum security prison that was after he was arrested question four which road was zachariah rest arrested near It's just off russell square but which road was it uh, question number five. What was Zachariah studying at college? Question six. What caused Zachariah to flee when he was in the mosque? What was, it was a physical thing. Something happened. What co- What was the thing that triggered his, uh, his panic? Question seven. Who was the only person who was killed in the attack? What was her name? Question eight. Which part of South London did Zachariah live in? This place was uh, this place was uh, on Twitter all over uh, about two weeks ago because an uh, an experimental drive-through McDonald's had opened up uh, in London because you know obviously people are desperate for their mucky doos and. It went all over Twitter because people couldn't believe that there was a place in the country in, in in Britain which had that name. For us, we're kind of used to it, but people outside London couldn't believe that that was the name of a real place. It is. Uh, question nine: How many extra police officers did Scotland Yard announce would be on the street that morning? Ironically, the morning that uh, Zechariah uh, committed the attack. Uh, an easy one. Question ten: What was Zachariah's nickname? Phwoar. Right. Let's go and put my put my powdered milk in. It's like being it's like being in the war. It's rationing. I think I should go and get myself some powdered. Oh, that's hot. Uh, I think I should get myself some some powdered egg as well. Who knows? Maybe with the virus, maybe we will go but to some kind of rationing system. You know, you never know. If, if some other country starts shutting down. Because don't forget, we don't a lot of us we don't produce our own stuff anymore. We actually rely on uh, imports. So, uh, so who knows? Right. Let's get some extra information in here. Uh, obviously, uh, I'd heard about this case years ago. I was working. I was working a couple of roads away when it happened. Heard about it. I heard it all unfold so when I was going through all the cases that I wanted to cover I thought this would be an interesting one to cover and I kind of knew what how I wanted to tell it as well that it was not that it was a going to be his story not the victim's stories Uh, I think there's a lot of coverage there was a lot of coverage on that but I felt that was already covered I wanted to cover his side of the the story Uh, and also to kind of get across the way that the, the the media panics quite often uh so that's what this really this story is about um obviously as mentioned there were five people who were stabbed one there was one fatality that night um uh it was oh see i'm gonna i'm gonna give away the um i try not to give away the name of the lady so there's one lady who's died she's stabbed at the scene i'm not going to mention her name because it's in the quiz um Let's see. Uh, she was, uh, as mentioned, she was from uh, 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 Tallahassee in I can't speak Florida. Uh, she was a special needs teacher. Um, she'd been working uh, with young people with disabilities and mental illness. It's kind of the irony of it is that you know she went out of her way to kind of help these young people with mental illnesses and she was killed by someone with mental illness uh she was on a holiday with her husband Richard They They're in London it was there last night in London they'd just gone out for a nice meal they were gonna get the fly back the next morning uh and uh so yeah unfortunately she was stabbed at the scene uh it was a single stab wound uh it went right through her lung and her heart uh she died within minutes paramedics were on the scene literally within within minutes as well but because there's quite a few hospitals nearby uh but unfortunately she she didn't make it she uh she died at the scene um bernard heppelwhite who was the first victim uh, he suffered a large tear to the lower bowel which required surgery he was in hospital for seven days and this left left him with a degree of physical debility disability uh obviously all all these people were able to put an impact statement at the court case about uh how it had affected their life uh uh, he said in his impact statement that for the rest of his life he will carry the physical and mental scars of what happened to him that night his life has been changed for the worse and forever um lily salentin who was the uh, australian primary school teacher she was stabbed in her right flank and was left with a permanent scar um she had to take uh, antiviral medication for a month and endured fear that she might have been exposed to HIV and other infectious diseases. Because obviously, you know, the same knife had stabbed other people. Uh, the experience took a toll on her psychologically and in her I- impact statement, um, uh, she did not think she would have to go through counselling for a traumatic event uh, when she was just enjoying her life and living it to the full uh there were uh three other victims in there who I mentioned very briefly at the end uh they their injuries weren't actually too bad they they were uh, able to be discharged from hospital uh but th- those were those were the ones who obviously you know you got physical injuries but also the the psychological injuries as well um as I mentioned there was a real media hysteria around it obviously the press were kind of all geared up for you know uh terrorism things like that um the, the second that people found out that he was black that he was somali already at that point uh there's uh people had already kind of said that uh eyewitnesses had said you know eyewitness statements that night are really vague like one of them said he was wearing a motorcycle helmet and i i would i had to keep going back through all the details and going why, why is he wearing a motorcycle helmet and there's no reference to him on a motorbike or a motorcycle helmet at all um so, so that's incorrect. Uh, one one of them said that, um, as mentioned in the story, that he was shouting "Allah, Allah," but this is doesn't seem to make sense because everyone else said that he silent. Someone else said that he had a, 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 an Islamic pamphlet in his back pocket. Uh, that was mentioned in court, but it wasn't used as evidence, as, as the uh, the judge said it was uh, unnecessary, not unnecessary. It didn't it didn't actually serve a purpose uh as if if you uh, go through any of the press reports uh, i've i can't remember this may stay in the p- program i don't know whether it will um i mentioned in there that um the last lady who was who was attacked the 18 year old israeli lady uh obviously the 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 good Journalists got in there and they decided to focus on the victims and their lives and all that but obviously the junk press that were there they went oh she's an attractive lady and then they went on her Instagram account and they found oh wow she's got loads of pictures of her in her bikini so if you go and look at their reporting I'm going to say it now the daily Mail piece of crap that it is um if you go on there it's basically just there's there's pictures of um the lady who was stabbed and you know scenes around that all the glorified stuff and then pictures of this lady in a bikini And you just think, it's not really reporting, is it? You just sensationalist twaddle. Uh, What else we got? What else we got? Uh, Obviously, there was a brief... The more information that came out about him, obviously, uh, some people said that uh, he was Somali, which he was. Some people said he was Iraqi. You know, obviously, people take uh, a kind of reactionist view on this. And instead of just going, you know, saying that he might be from one country they try and pick the the, the country where there's wars in they go oh well uh, the second that the press found out that he had uh, norwegian relatives and that he was actually born in norway um obviously that people had already started to uh, connect up a, a kind of a subliminal link between anders brevik uh who was the, the the guy who went on the killing spree um and killed all those kids uh so, but unfortunately this is this is the, the the what i was trying to get across in this episode is that people do make an irrational they they have to make irrational connections but what the connection normally is is that they want to put the blame somewhere else they want to put the blame on other people on religions on music and things like that but what they don't want to do is say hey you know this is this is part of our problem this is this is we all have an inherent stigma against mental health you know so uh and, and, and even though I'm referencing here that it, it is true that with the Somali culture there is very much a kind of a stigma against mental health uh, I'll try try to remember the name of the book it was the book I was I was deliberately reading about uh, Somali culture and they the the author was like there is a big problem in Somali culture that they they literally just put their hands up to it and go no 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 uh, but unfortunately we all are the same as well we all have that as well it's still something that we're all need to kind of process and deal with properly as opposed to just and even worse just saying oh it's just mental health that's even the worst thing as well is we just boxing everything up uh let's where's on what else we got uh as mentioned the U- uk threat level is at severe it's a, it's a five stage threat level severe it's the second highest uh obviously the top one is uh means that an attack is imminent uh very rarely do we ever get to that point i think most of the time at the moment it's at severe it seems to be i don't i wonder what it's at now because with the coronavirus if you notice it's very little terrorism i think as the terrorists know that the virus is doing a better job than they're doing so they're just sitting back and letting it happen um also they probably can't travel that much or get equipment but you know i think i think the, the the virus is doing a better job and do you know what our leaders are doing an equally damaging job than a, a terrorist would do Ugh, bloody politicians eh uh let's see what else do we have here i'm just having a whiff through all my details Ugh. Uh, obviously uh immediately after the attacks they got his details they went back to the flat where he lived uh went through all his equipment they Examining his computer and stuff like that but there there was nothing on there I th- obviously the police were looking for some kind of uh connection to radicalization things like that, but there was none of that at all. It was literally all oh, they they went in and they just found out he was literally just an ordinary boy he liked football he liked computer games stuff like that and um he was uh, obviously they found his medical papers as well uh he received a treatment at a secure mental health hospital, which is Broadmoor um uh he'd been there literally almost after his arrest he was sent there and he'd been there uh, for about three weeks so they could properly assess him uh It's a maximum security prison and hospital um but uh, by the time it got through the the court system uh ever as as mentioned everyone kind of whether well, prosecution or defense, everyone had said, you know you can't sentence him, you can't put him in prison because he really really does need he needs help uh so under the mental health act uh that he's uh his sentence was uh custody for life uh, under a hospital order which basically means he'll be there forever um, unless unless he uh does well uh and comes through this let's hope let's hope something good happens for him uh what else have we got what else have we got uh, do you know what I think I've put almost everything into the episode? Uh as mentioned yet, yeah, so that the trial was on the uh February uh twenty seventeen, so about about seven months later, it was at the old Bailey as always. Uh took them a couple of days. Uh what else have we got? Yeah, originally uh so obviously he was charged with murder originally uh but um murder and uh, one count of murder five counts of attempted murder uh which his uh, they say him but obviously it's, it's his his um his lawyers who make the decisions on this uh but he said uh not guilty to murder and five counts of attempted murder but admitted manslaughter by diminished responsibility and five counts of wounding with the intent to cause grievous bodily harm which uh, which uh, the pleas were accepted by the prosecution, given the fact that he was uh, quite clearly um, su- suffering you know, a paranoid episode that it might, it kind of made sense for the prosecution just to accept that plea deal there. Um, the court heard, heard that bullhan was having an acute episode of paranoid schizophrenia at the time of the attacks. Uh, what else we got what else we got the judge ordered uh the attempted murder charges to lie on file uh so it's marked on the file but it doesn't mean that he'll be charged with it uh They all agreed that uh, he had suffered from mental illness since the age of uh, fifteen, so it'd been going on for about four years, and it had reached a crescendo in August that year. What else we got? Oh, uh, I'm trying not to give away too much because obviously we've got the quiz next, and I don't want to don't want to ruin any of that for you. What else we got? No, I think we're done. I think we're done on that. Yeah. So he's currently he's currently still there. He's currently in Broadmoor Maximum Security Prison he's going to be there for a very long time. Uh but obviously but uh, do you know as mentioned in this before, do you know the, they do always say that with uh, mental health it takes about 10 years to get a proper diagnosis because it's not it's not clear. There's so many different diagnoses and that they all overlap and quite often diagnoses kind of shift as well. We kind of noticed this with my mum as well. It was kind of you know there was nothing stable or consistent. Like the one doctor would go, oh it's this, and then the other one would go, oh it's this. I remember sitting around a big table with loads of experts. I'm gonna I I'm go I'm gonna use inverted commas because there were a lot of them sitting around the table who were they were experts, but it was oh, they were just they were really arrogant, and it was. And they were like, I'm Professor... and doing all that. I'm Dr. da And it's like showing off to each other how great they were. And when it came around to me, uh, it went, hi, I'm uh, the son of... I've got got 42 years experience of this patient. And it was like, oh. There was one person around the table who looked at me and they were like, oh, that was a good answer. Because even though they were medical experts, I was the only person in the room who understood her, the person, and it was very interesting like going around the table and all these teams had come together to discuss mum's case i'm not going to say what she had and one group said well we've noticed this 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 we think it's this diagnosis And then the other group went oh well that can't be right because we've noticed this this and this but we haven't noticed that so we think it's this and then another group went no that's not right because we've seen this this and this but we haven't seen that or that and then they all got together and went how can she be presenting different symptoms to different people? And I was like, "Welcome to my world." <laughs> so, it was, but that's mental health for you. It all overlaps. It's so, um, yeah. So even though you know you, you may listen to this and go, "Oh, do you know the 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 uh, the hospital didn't do a good job or the GP didn't do a good job," the problem is it, it is a hard job. You can't. No, GPs have what ten minutes to uh, diagnose someone and three minutes of that is to do the paperwork how is that even possible and then if you go even if you go into a a mental health facility the you know the chance of them getting it right first time is slim so they do often say it can take 10 years to to get uh, the mental health uh diagnosis accurate and symptoms symptoms lay lie low they can come up at different points they can overlap they can you can have multiple mental mental health problems at the same time. Do you know? It might not just be depression. It could be anxiety. It could be paranoia. Do you know? One, they, they could be of different strengths and levels. Do you know? There's nothing consistent inside the human brain. So uh, it's a hard one. It really is. But, you know, hopefully with this story, hopefully this has helped make, make changes to uh, people who need help out there. So, right let's uh let's do the answers to the questions right uh i'm looking at those cakes although they, they have been sitting there for about two days so they might be a little bit sweaty still gonna eat them right uh question number one what country did zachariah's parents originate from the answer was somalia question number two which mosque did Zachariah go with to his go with, go to with his father? <laughs> uh, it was the East London Mosque in Whitechapel. Huge mosque. If you go down uh, through Whitechapel, it's actually past Whitechapel Hospital, which was where the uh, John Merrick or actually Joseph Merrick, the elephant man, was uh, for uh, a big part of his treatment uh and it's it's not too far away it's just it's actually just opposite uh brick lane kind of and that's why the bomb went off in brick lane because um the if you go back to oh, was it episode five i think it's episode five the the admiral duncan bombing it was the second bombing that was done and that's why it was there because it's right next to one of the biggest mosques uh question three uh, which prison was zachariah admitted to that was broadmoor psychiatric prison uh Question four uh, Which road was Zachariah arrested near? That is uh Bedford Place. Uh Question five. Obviously I should mention at the start if some of these questions might not be in the episode because I might have edited them out. Uh question five. What did Zechariah what was Zachariah studying at college? He was doing a BTEC in IT. Question six what caused zachariah to flee when he was in the mosque that was it was a phone ringing question seven who was the only person who was killed in the attack there i did it. i didn't mention her name in the in the bit it was darlene horton so she was the lady she was walking with her husband richard along not all along the side roads but along uh, the railings in the middle of the park uh and he came up behind and she stabbed her in the back, right through the left lung and the heart. Uh, she literally bled out, died really quickly. Um, which part of? Oh, question eight. Which part of South London did Zachariah live in? And that is, of course, Tootin. Freedom for Tootin. Question nine. Uh, how many extra police officers did Scotland Yard announce would be on the street that very morning? announced 600 police officers many of them armed and question 10 what was zachariah's nickname even if you didn't hear it it'd be easy to guess it was zaki nice easy nickname good that was that oh right time to oh oh i've just pressed pressed a button that i shouldn't have pressed and now I'd. oh man what have i done there we go i'm back back pressed a button good that's me done um i'm gonna go and have a tea and a cake and i'm gonna power through this get myself ready and then head over to my mate's house at about half past six and have some cheeky beers yeah cheeky beers ah oh, can't wait good anyway that was that hope you're all uh staying safe being good don't flat the rules stay within the the limits the virus is meant to be coming back next month so uh, over in july and uh, meant to be a third push in uh, october so um stay down stay safe um don't forget that the virus doesn't adhere to the same rules as you it doesn't ha- it didn't get the memo about the lockdown being eased it's a virus it, it does its own thing and it, and it mutates as well so do you know what be safe just play it safe and be good and healthy and safe and don't don't be a dickhead about it, because if you're a dickhead about it, you could make other people ill, and that's that's the kind of th- I think that's the key thing at the moment is a lot of people are going oh, but I don't have the sim, I don't feel like I've got symptoms, but it's like yeah, but you could have. That's the problem. Like I, I've seen, actually seen in the streets a lot of kids running around. Their parents have long, let their kids go feral now, and they're like, ah, sod it, you go out and have some fun. But the problem is, the kids may not show the symptoms, but the kids can be carriers, and that's the problem. You've got all your kids mixing and they come back into the house. They bring the virus with you and then you spread it onto someone else. (sighs) One day. Right. Everyone be safe. Be good. I'm going to have cake and I will speak to you all soon. Have yourselves a good week. Lots of love. Bye bye.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen